are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Today's verses come from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. All right, thank you, Josh. Yes, it's kind of a message activity that we get to do tonight, so feel free to keep working on that as we spend our time here in Romans chapter 8. We have this marvelous portion of Scripture that is accompanying us through Holy Week. So we started into Romans 8 on Palm Sunday. We're here in the middle portion tonight for Good Friday. And then we'll come back for the concluding verses on Easter morning. Romans 8 is considered, as we said on Sunday, one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. And it's because it so simply and majestically says the difference that Jesus makes in our life, both now and forever. Because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for us, Paul is saying, these things are true. So whether you're an 8-year-old or an 80-something-year-old, tonight we gather to focus on the cross as the decisive event in all of our life. The cross is the backdrop for our study tonight, even as we study Romans 8. The cross is why Paul can make this opening statement. Here's verse 18 where we started. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Octavius Winslow said, One second of glory will extinguish a lifetime of suffering. Octavius Winslow, one second of glory will extinguish a lifetime of suffering. And I believe he spoke out of his own experiences. Octavius Winslow was born in the early 1800s in England. He was the eighth child in a family of ten kids. In fact, that's why he was named Octavius, because he was number eight. 
But as he was growing up, his dad became very ill so that they lost their financial means as a family through a rough stretch in the economy. And the family was so desperate that they decided that the mother and the kids should sail ahead to America and that the father would join them soon after. And the idea was, we have nothing here in England. We're going to go try and make a fresh start at it. And so the mom and kids sailed ahead. They landed and waited in New York City for their dad to arrive. But in England, he died before he boarded the boat. So now you've got a widowed mother, age 40, in charge of 10 young ones, arriving in poverty in New York City in, to them, a strange land. And on top of that, as the biographers write, their youngest child passed away at that same time. So it's no wonder that she became overwhelmed by despair and spiritual darkness for many months. Octavius was seven years old at the time. And he and his siblings would go out into the streets. They would try to sell or find any job that they could. They'd sell matches, newspapers, whatever they could find to make enough money to put food on the table. But one thing was true for this family, and that was that they knew their life was in Jesus' hands. In fact, when Octavius grew up, he wrote about his mother, about their experiences, and it was called In Jesus' Hands. And every evening, their mother would gather them around, and they would spend time reading Scripture, and they would pray. And I would just guess that somewhere in that nightly tradition as a family, they would have read Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And I'd like to invite you to think for a moment to yourself, what are my present sufferings? What are the things for you that are hard right now? The things that aren't going right? Maybe the pains or wounds of the past that you carry with you. What are your present sufferings? Either of the self-inflicted kind or the things that can hit you blindside that you have no control over in life. What are the things that loom over you right now like a dark cloud hanging in the sky that is there even when you wake up and it is a sunny, bright spring morning? And these are the things that I'd like you to write down as you feel led to on that little post-it note, that note card. I'd like you to just jot down throughout the message, or maybe it's in the song that we'll sing later, what are my present sufferings? And then when you're ready, when you finish that, you're going to take that thumbtack in the shape of a heart, and you're going to pin it to the cross. If you have younger ones at your table, you may need to give them a hand too as you press that pin in to the cross. It is because of the cross that we can know that our present sufferings will one day give way to the glory that is ours in Christ. One second of glory will extinguish a lifetime of suffering. And yet for now, here we are in the in-between. We're in these days that are marked by present sufferings. And we're waiting and longing for the day when they'll finally be extinguished. And as Paul proceeds in his letter, you're going to see him describe this waiting and longing with the word groaning. 
And I want to show you tonight the three different aspects of groaning that he describes, starting with the groaning of creation. Verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And when it says there, eager expectation, in the Greek what that literally is saying is, it's the picture of someone craning their neck to see something coming, something exciting that you're looking forward to. The Phillips paraphrase captures this wonderfully, and it says the whole creation is on tiptoe. And what we sometimes forget is that our fall into sin did not just affect us and our relationship with God, but it mangled the whole design of creation. There is not just a personal significance to sin, but a cosmic significance as sin enters the world. And we see this when we go back to Genesis chapter 3 and we see God speaking with Adam and Eve there. And he says in verse 17, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Paraphrase, it won't work right anymore. I was listening to an interview just a few days ago with a director from FEMA. We hear FEMA all the time, but I forgot what it actually stands for. It stands for Federal Emergency Management Agency. And this director with FEMA was basically saying that they can't even really keep up with the disasters that occur across the land. Forest fires, floods, mudslides, tornadoes, hurricanes, drought. They go from one season to the next and the next disaster is already waiting. We see that the whole created order has fallen under the curse of sin. And so, in a sense, we picture the mountains and the fields and the oceans and the trees are all longing for the day when these present sufferings will give way to glory. That's why Philip says, all creation is on tiptoe. And we get a glimpse of what it may look like someday in Isaiah chapter 11. And I want to share with you this wonderful imagery of the animal kingdom. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. And here's why we know this is a picture of the future. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And how about we go to the end of the story. Revelation 21 is describing this in the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. And Revelation 22 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing twelve crops of fruit. Yielding its fruit every month. There's no FEMA in heaven one day. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And then verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. And we catch this key word, right, from Genesis chapter 3. The curse in Revelation 22 is gone. And yet here we are in the meantime, all creation is waiting. Paul says then later in Romans in our passage, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And on Easter Sunday, 
we're going to sing that song. So when we gather again on Easter, we're going to sing that song, Is All Creation Groaning? And then we'll all respond, It is. Is the new creation coming? It is. We'll sing that together. It comes from Romans 8. And that's the first mention of groaning in our passage. The second one is our own groaning. And we see Paul make the connection for us in verse 23. He says, not only so, not just creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. How many of you know that your body is a fragile thing? Sooner or later, right? We learn that we're not invincible. I mean, you can be healthy as an ox one day, and the next thing you know, you're flat on your back, or you're sick in bed, or you're in a doctor's office with a diagnosis, and you're looking around at these walls thinking, how did I get here? What is going on? I think most of us know this sense of inward groaning that Paul describes. I'm sure that there have been times when you have been so sick that you're physically groaning for relief when it's that bad. Or maybe it's not physical pain, but you know a time where you have experienced a season of grief so intense that all you can do is groan through tears. Sooner or later, we know these experiences. And yet, I want you to see the key word in the next couple of verses from Paul. Watch it with me. We'll put it on the screen, and I put them in italics. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And the key word, of course, is hope. Five times. Even in our groaning, perhaps especially in our groaning, we have hope. That is the power of the cross over our present sufferings. I was visiting a man from church this week who is facing an incurable progressive illness. And we spent time this week in his living room talking about all kinds of things, including what he's discovering in God's Word and the ways that he's growing and learning even as his physical body is declining. And we sat there, and I'm across the room with my face mask on, and we're sitting there, and the sunlight is just streaming in. You know, one of those days this week, filling the room, and my eye catches the inscription on a large framed picture that's on the wall next to him. And here's what it says. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118. And it was like it was there on the wall as a declaration that this is a couple who lives in this house who knows and trusts the Lord. They have hope for what they do not yet have. They have a confident expectation that their present suffering is not the final word. And so as Paul says, we wait for it patiently. Creation's groaning we are groaning, and lastly, we come to the Spirit's groaning. Remember, I shared on Palm Sunday that the Holy Spirit is mentioned 
19 times in Romans chapter 8. And specifically the focus is on what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. So if you have given your life to Christ and you believe in what He has done for you on the cross, then God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit indwells every believer. And I want you to listen to just one of the ways that He is at work in our life. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Have you ever known the feeling of wanting to pray but not knowing how to pray or how to find the right words? Maybe a certain situation arises, a present suffering that is so complex or so confusing or so heartbreaking that you don't even know how to pray about it. You don't know what words to use, what direction to pray, or how to even open your mouth and speak before the Lord. And this passage is saying to you in that moment, yes, and so the Holy Spirit is praying for you through wordless groans. That means groans that human words cannot even express. So if you don't know how to pray or what to pray, even if you think you do know what to pray, the Holy Spirit, it says, is in our hearts voicing prayers on our behalf. Isn't that mind-boggling to think about? I think I've spent most of my life without ever really giving a conscious thought to that is something that the Lord is doing for me. And where we struggle sometimes to know what to pray, the Holy Spirit knows exactly how to pray for you in every situation in your life. Verse 27, And He who searches our hearts, God the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. My wife, as a European immigrant, came to this country and thought that the pitcher and the batter in baseball were on the same team. And so we watched a few ball games and had to clarify how baseball works. But I want to tell you something with that analogy tonight, that in Romans 8, the pitcher and the batter are on the same team. The Father and the Spirit are working together, interceding, batting a thousand as they pray and respond to prayer for you. And I just want you to think in real time for a moment that this is happening right now. The Holy Spirit knows your present sufferings and in this moment is interceding for you in perfect alignment with the will of the Father. Isn't that amazing? This is what the cross does. This is why we can pin our present sufferings to the cross and we can say, yes, this is painful, I'm waiting, but it doesn't even compare with the glory that will be revealed one day in my life because of Christ. And it's this perspective that brings us to our final verse for the evening, Romans 8, 28, encapsulating all that has been said before it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. 
It's one of the most powerful verses of the Bible. And sometimes it's one of the hardest to believe. I got a call today on Good Friday from a guy that I used to know years ago. We fell out of touch, not from our community. It's just happened this afternoon. I get a call from this guy who I knew years ago. He loves the Lord, was running his own business. He's probably about 50 years old, a wife and kids, successful. But today he called me, and I don't know how to describe it to you other than that I was hearing the voice of someone who is broken, like a leaf trembling in the wind. All the energy, all the life, the fervor was gone from his voice. And he didn't tell me right away what was going on. I asked a few questions. And eventually he said his wife had left him. He'd lost his business. And he'd attempted to take his own life. It's just fresh in my memory. We talked and we prayed and... He's trying to hold on, this guy is. He's telling me he's, he's leading on the Lord now in ways that he doesn't even know how. And the whole time we're having this conversation, I'm doing sermon prep and my Bible is there open to Romans 8. So we're talking and I said, before we pray, can I just read a couple things that are right here on my desk? And so we read, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And we prayed together and hung up the phone. Let's pray together now. Shall we? Heavenly Father, we end a sermon in your word, with your word. These beautiful, precious words from Romans 8. And we thank you, Lord, that you bear our sin for once and for all on the cross that you gave your life for us. We thank you, Lord, that our present sufferings are but a light and momentary affliction compared to what you are preparing for us in glory. Lord, tonight we don't rush ahead to Easter, though we know it's on the horizon, but we sit here in the shadow of the cross saying thank you for our forgiveness. Thank you for the hope of glory and for the coming redemption of these broken bodies. Lord, as we wait, we ask that you make us a people who wait in your deep and abiding love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.